The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your own very son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from the earth of Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all of them, all these, cut them in half, and laid each other half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, Dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they shall serve, and afterward they shall come out with, a great, with great possessions. As for you, you shall go out to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephrim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Lord, um, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for um, this fellowship. Thank you for the cross that allowed this fellowship. Thank you for your church. Thank you for who you are and your character. Thank you that we can see you for who you are. I pray that we can look at your character and not the flaws of our people, but we can see you for true, who you really are, Lord. Um, amen. All right. Good morning. All right, if you got your Bibles today, we're going to be in Genesis 15. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 21. Uh, if you're new this morning, welcome. My name is Randall, uh, lead pastor of the, uh, Grace City. And uh, this morning, we're going to continue in this series called The Gospel in Genesis. And one of the things that we've been highlighting is the idea that uh, Christianity is not a to-do list. It's not a checklist. It's not a get your life together. Um, but what it is, it's good news. And so what we've been talking about is, is why the, the Christian message is good news to us today. And so we've been looking from the very beginning of the year through the book of Genesis. And uh, specifically, we are right now in the, the life of Abraham. Um, so whether you're new to church or not, probably many of us today have heard of Abraham. And so what we're looking at in this particular passage is a very important moment in his life. Um, th this right here is really the crux of 
the Christian message and the gospel. And, and so some of us today, we've never heard of this story before. And so hopefully as, as we unpack it, you're going to see really the importance of what is happening here in Genesis 15. Um, and so here's what the message is about. It's this, our doubts, God's promise. Our doubts, God's promise. Um, what we found out in the life of Abraham is this, that as we look at his life, um, he is not somebody who has his life together. Uh, he's very much like us in that his life is pretty messy. Um, and we can relate to that. Um, because here's the thing, he struggled. He struggled. Right? And so we saw in Genesis 12 where God called him uh, to leave everything behind and follow in faith. But what we see along the way is that he struggles time and time again. Here's some of his struggles. He struggles with fears, doubts, insecurities, anxieties. See, what we see is that it was hard for him to keep going and following God's promises and God's call um, because what we see right now as he's in Genesis 15 is this, that he is living in the gap. The gap. You know what I mean by the gap? The gap is that he is living in this present reality but very distant from God's promise. Right? The promise of God is in the future but he's struggling in the present reality of not experiencing it. And so what happens is he is just struggling with, again, fears, doubts, questions, anxieties. In 2014, there was a movie called Selma that came out. And in this movie, it was depicting this milestone moment in the civil rights movement, um, the courage of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, and the leading actor was David Oyelowo, um, and he's a Christian. Um, and, and during that time, it says he was wrestling with being the, the leading actor in this movie. He did an, uh, an interview with Christianity Today about his role, and, and here's what he said. He gave a little background. He says, on, on the 24th of July, 2007, God told me that I was going to play Dr. King in the, this film. The reason I know the date is that it was a real surprise to me. I'm not American. I'm from England. And I'd only just moved from America two months before reading the script. The idea that I would be the one to play Dr. King was, to be honest, a bit shocking to me. But I do know God's voice. I became a born-again Christian at the age of 16, and my spirit didn't doubt it. My flesh was a little more skeptical. I auditioned for the role, and the director who was attached didn't feel I was the right fit for the role, which kind of surprised me spiritually. But like I say, my soul was like, okay, I understand. I hadn't done many films, really, but uh, then what went on, uh, then went on, uh, went on to happen was a seven-year journey in which God gave me opportunities, from playing a Union soldier in Lincoln, who was basically a kind of pre-incarnate version of Dr. King asking for the vote, opposite Abraham Lincoln, to playing an African-American uh, fighter pilot in Red Tails, to playing a preacher in The Help, and then the son of a butler in The Butler, which gave me a sort of educational tour of what it meant to be an African-American in this country. And all the way to this divine moment we're in, when this film is dropping at the time where we're in the midst of racial unrest in America yet again. Now, what we see from his story as he's sharing this is that he was living in the gap, 
right? He felt that God was calling him to be in this film, this movie, but there were obstacles and there were things that came up along the way that said no. But in the midst of it, God was preparing him all along. You see, this is the gap. And so how do we as Christians live in the midst of the doubts, fears, anxieties that we face when we're right in the middle of the gap of our present reality and God's promise? Well, our text today is Genesis 15, 1 through 21. And to set up what's happening here, Ian DeGid gives a great description. Here's what he says. He says, at the beginning of Genesis 15, Abram appears fresh from his triumph in the two struggles of the previous chapter. He rescued Lot, who was his nephew, from the power of the invading kings, and he resisted the temptation to seize the promised land in his own strength. At that moment, you might think that Abram uh, would have been strong and confident in his faith. Yet when the, the word of the Lord came to him once again, reiterating the promise, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. The old questions came flooding back. The old questions came flooding back. You see, again, as he's standing there, experiencing God in all of these different moments, he still has fears and doubts. And so from today's text, when you face those moments, how do you keep going? How do you keep moving forward? Well, what we see in the life of Abram is that it's in two ways. In two ways. And so I'm going to give you two, the, both of them up front, and here's what they are. It's, it's seeing our true selves, and number two, seeing how it's accomplished. Seeing our true selves and seeing how it's accomplished. So the first one, seeing our true selves. Uh, look at verses one through eight because this is where we're going to find it. It says this. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this, shall, uh, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? You see what's happening here? God is, is, is coming into his life and, and confronting him again and just saying, okay, where are we at, Abram? Right, he's, he's experiencing all these mountaintop moments and then now he's back again struggling. Verse 1 says that the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, this vision is, is very unique to Abram and, and really in the Pentateuch, the first five uh, books of the, the Old Testament. Uh, this, this never happens. This kind of thing never happens because what's happening here is now Abram is experiencing a clear, audible revelation from God. He's experiencing God in a way, a new way, that's really uh, personal to him. 
And so what's happening here is it is pulling out who Abram really is and where he's at in this moment. See, what are Abram's doubts? Well, it comes from how God responds to him. First off, he says this. He, he comes to Abram, he says, first two words, fear not. Fear not. God's coming to him because he's fearful. He's afraid again. And so what is God's response? He says this. He says, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So God doesn't come to Abram and just say, fear not. Right? Just stop fearing. Stop being afraid, Abram. But what he says is this. He gives the reason. He says, fear not, for I am your shield. I am your shield. The reason that Abram doesn't have to be afraid is because God is his protector. See, he had just come out of this war. There's this invading army that was coming to take over Lot, his nephew. And so he's probably a little jittery after something like that and just thinking, okay, how is this going to work? How is this going to come together? Was it the right choice for me to leave the land that I was in where everything felt pretty secure and safe? God says, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. What he's saying first is this, that God is his protector. But it's exposing his fear. And now it gets a little bit deeper. So the general sense is that there's fear, but what is it about? Well, next, it just kind of probes deeper into what Abram is experiencing. He says, oh, Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So now it's getting very practical, right? It's not just this general sense of fear, but it's a, it's a practical reason why he's fearful. He's saying, okay, God, I've been following you for a little while now, but I'm not really seeing how this is all going to work out. Because at this point, he went to go save Lot, his nephew, but it seems like right there in Genesis 15 already, Lot's gone. He's already left. He's left again. Okay, so he's out pursuing something else. And, and Abram's left to himself saying, I've got no family here. My family, the person that I trusted, and he's gone. So what's going to happen? How's this going to work out? Because Eliezer of Damascus is going to take over my household. And, and so, God, you said that you're going to work this thing out. But do you see in the midst of his doubt, as he's starting to express this and say, this is where I'm at, what happens? God's response is this. He says, this man shall not be your heir. Okay, so it's not Eliezer of Damascus. What does he say? He says, your very own son shall be your heir. Now we're going to see as we start to go again through the life of Abram, just how crazy that is. Just how crazy that is. Because the, the, we've talked about this, but the name Abram means father. But when God renames him, when God breaks through into his life, he names him Abraham, father of many. Right? And so there's this transformation. There's this change. So God is promising that he's going to do something in his life. But he's just saying, how is this going to happen? 
And now God says specifically, okay, a little bit more information, you're going to have a son. That was God's response. That was God's answer to his practical questions. But then there's some trust issues involved. Right? Because again, there's, there's the practical thing of like, he's get, we saw that earlier in Genesis uh, 11 that Abram's wife, Sarai, was barren. She was barren. So, so how is that going to happen? Right? How is that going to work? Because they'd struggled already to conceive. They've already been through the hurt and pain of that. And so now God is saying, you're going to have a son. That's hard. It's bringing up some deep-seated issues within Abram's life. But then God shows him. What does he show him? Well, five and six. It says, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. God takes Abram outside and says, look toward heaven. Number the stars if you're able to number them. See, as we've been talking through all of this, uh, as we looked at Genesis chapter one and two, what we saw is that God created everything. That God is all powerful. That God is the one who placed every star in the sky. He is the creator. And so what is impossible with man is possible with God. And God is taking Abram outside and giving him a visual reminder of who created the stars, who created the universe. And what's impossible with Abram and his strength is possible with God and his strength. Brandon Manning Confessed, he says, when I get honest, I admit I am a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and get discouraged. I love and hate. I'm trusting and suspicious. I'm honest and I still play games. And if we get down to it, that's how we are. It's very relatable. And as we get into the life of Abram, It's the same thing with him. See, we're not putting him on a pedestal saying, hey, he's got it all together, but actually he's very much like you and me. He's a person that's trusting God, saying, I don't know how this is all going to work out. See, a part of following God is this. It's being willing to express our doubts. Our doubts. Some of, maybe, maybe you've grown up in churches or places that says, you know, stuff those doubts down. Don't even entertain them. You just need to believe. But what we see is that God didn't say that to Abram. He comes to him and he says, give me all your doubts. Give me all your doubts. I want to answer those. I want to give you a response to some of those things that are just holding you and entangling you in fear right now. I want to give you a response. See, what that does is 
it helps us to know that God is not condemning us for our doubts. He doesn't condemn us for doubting. He didn't condemn Abram for doubting. But here's what God did. God challenged his doubts. He challenged his doubts. Right? Sometimes when we get into this place of doubts, we just get into this spiral downward, 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 but we never challenge them. We never say, is that actually true? But we just blindly believe it. But what God does is he breaks through is he starts to challenge our doubts. And so that's what we see in Abram's life. Well, why? Why, why, do, why, why do we have to struggle with doubt? Well, Oz Guinness said it well when he says this. He says, if ours is an examined faith, we should be unafraid to doubt. If doubt is eventually justified, we were believing what clearly was not worth believing. But if doubt is answered, our faith has grown stronger. It knows God more certainly, and it can enjoy God more deeply. As we struggle with doubts, fears, all of these things, and we bring them to God, it brings us closer in relationship with him because we know him more deeply. And our faith becomes stronger because it's an examined faith. Like we've talked about before, it's not just this blind faith. That's not biblical faith. But biblical faith is one that examines it and says, I believe it's true. And so what we see is that Abram, it says that he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's just a simple belief, right? As he starts to wrestle through this and ask these questions and examine really what it is that God is doing, he's like, okay, I believe. One of the things that is coming up right now is, you know, my, my seven-year-old, she, she, we've got, me and my wife have three kids. She's seven years old and she's our middle daughter. And so um, one of the things that she's been saying to us recently is this. She says, nobody loves me. Nobody loves me. I have no friends. And, you know, as a parent, I look at her and I, I, I think to myself, how could you say no one loves you? Right, like, look around, look at all the things that we've done for you, look at all, like, we love you. How can I explain to you that we love you, right? There's that thing that just kind of rises up inside of me, like, oh, as a parent, like, you've got to know that I love you. And that's what Abram's struggling with. He's like, God, do you love me? You there? But you see, that God didn't just give him an explanation. He showed him. He shows him. Right? And so, so how he's showing him is he's saying, look up at the stars. And the thing that I know more than anything is that my explanation, it's not going to help my daughter to know that I love her or that people love her, that she has friends until I sit there and hug her and hold her and kiss her. Right? Right? It's, it's showing. It's showing. It's not a lecture. It's very practical. 
And so that is what is transforming Abram's life. He's in this relationship with God and God is showing him how he loves him. Okay, because here's the next question. Abram says this. You see it in verse 8? How am I to know that I shall possess it? God, I get it. Like, I'm, I'm asking these questions. I'm struggling with my doubt. I'm struggling with my fears. I'm struggling with my anxieties. How am I to know? How do I know? And so it's the second point. It's seeing how it's accomplished. It's seeing how it's accomplished, okay? So verses 9 through 18, let, let's look at it. This is an amazing text right here. Uh, he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, listen to this, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years and I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. All right, now this is, this is really important. There, there's, there's three parts to how God is showing Abram how this is gonna happen. And this is a little weird for us, right? Because we, we think to ourselves, um, okay, what's happening here? Uh, he's going to get a three-year-old male goat, ram, turtle dove, young pigeon, heifer, all these things. And so what got Abram excited confuses us, right? Like he, you see it in the text. He is excited. He is going to go gather these things together and he's bringing them over to God, right? Like, okay, I'm going to bring all these things together and... Um, and it's foreign to us because what's happening here is it's called a covenant. And so this is a binding contract that is happening. So for us in our day, we don't take animals and, and sacrifice them. Uh, we take a contract and some money, down payment, something like that. And we say, okay, I'm just going to sign here. Here it is. You know, we're good. That's, that's the contract. And if I don't follow through, then you're going to keep my deposit. You know, that, that's, the, that's as much as, um, for us, a, a binding contract is. But with a covenant, it's, it's a lot more risky in the Old Testament, for sure. Um, because what's happening here is there's this animal sacrifice that's being made. Um, the animals are split in half, and they're put on each side. There's a path in between, and then on the sides are where the animals are. Um, it was cutting a covenant, okay? And so there's a lot of blood. It's very messy. Uh, but this was a common practice during the time of Abram. Now, um, this is 
This is important because what happens next in this covenant is that uh, during that time, human kings would uh, make the lower person pass through. So there's two people making a covenant. They would have the servant go through, but the king would not go through. Most covenants, what would happen is they would, both people would walk through. And what they were saying was this, that as I walk through, I am binding myself, I am committing myself that if I don't come through on this promise, if I'm not faithful, then you can cut me to pieces like the covenant that we've done today. Very costly, right? This is going to like cost you your life. So what's happening here? Well, in verse 12, it says that there was this um, dreadful darkness that comes. It says, as the sun was going down, a little creepy, right? A deep sleep fell on Abram. And so what, what's happening here, it's almost like a dream as he's kind of experiencing what's, what's happening here. It says, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. It's like this, this utter fear, right? Like he thought he was fearful of like what was happening, like, like God is doing something here and he, he is in the fear of God right now. And then it says, God says, know for certain that I'm going to do something. And what we see next is that there's a smoking fire and a flaming torch that goes in between the pieces. And here's the miracle. Abram did not go through the pieces. So smoking fire, flaming torch, both go through. What's happening here? Well, Hebrews 6.13 says this. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater, no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. So, usually two would go through, but only one does. Usually a king would make the lesser go through but the greater goes through. What's happening here? God is going through for himself, saying, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, I will be cut to pieces. But then he's going through for Abram, saying, Abram, if you don't hold up your end of the bargain... I'll be torn to pieces. How is this going to happen? It's going to happen because God is going to make it happen. Even at the cost of himself. 
See, for many of us, we think that the way we're going to make things happen or the way that we're going to get to God or, or make these promises to God, you ever made those vows before? God, I'll never do this again. Promise. Next time, we'll be different. I promise you, God. What happens? We fail time and time and time again. We don't hold up our end of the bargain. But God says, this is the message of Christianity, that it is not you holding up your end of the bargain, but it is me holding up your end of the bargain. You can't. And it is you simply believing in me, trusting in me, looking to me, and I'll be your good news. I'll be your good news. When you feel like a failure, it's me that's faithful. See, God is faithfully saying, at his own cost, at his own expense, I will be torn to pieces for you. And here's the thing that happens. Abram never questions God again like this from this point on. He doesn't question like he did here. Right? Like he wrestles with things from this point on, but he doesn't question like this because he's seen God and that God is faithful. And so just some takeaways. How do you keep going when you doubt? How do you keep going when you have these doubts? First off, know the character of God. Know the character of God. Know who he is. Right, a lot of the times we look at our own character and we look at our own mess-ups and we look at our, our own areas where we, we, just, we just don't match up. But God is saying, take your eyes off of yourself and place it onto me. Right, as we look at Hebrews 12, it says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, that God himself is the author and perfecter of our faith. And so how do you grow in your faith? How do you learn faithfulness? It's by looking at the one who is faithful. And knowing that God's character is greater than ours. Even when you go through trials and, and difficulties and circumstances that, you, that just don't make sense. Charles Spurgeon was once quoted as saying this. He says, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trace his heart. What he's saying is that you will go through difficulties. And what we see, even in verses 14, 15, this is not a walk in the park. Right? This is difficulty. He says, but I will bring judgment on the nations. But in verse 13, he says, know that your offspring will be sojourners in the land. They'll be servants. They'll be afflicted for 400 years. Like, this is not easy street, right? But what he's promising is that he was going to be there in the midst of it and that his character was going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever and that he would be faithful to them in the midst of their difficulties, in the midst of their trials. And so how do you keep going when you have doubts and fears and all those things? It's just knowing it's about God's character, not my own. And that as I trust him, my character will be shaped and developed in the midst of that. Do, do you know that God is more committed to your character being like Jesus than you are? 
he is more committed to you being like Jesus than you are. He's more concerned about your character and your motivations transforming and changing than he is about us becoming some successful person in the world's eyes, right? We got it all together. He's more committed to us being transformed and our character being changed. How does that happen when we know that God's character is greater than ours? And so that's the first part is, is when, you're, when you're facing doubts, know the character of God. Second, it's know that God's grace is enough. Know that God's grace is enough. Again, many times what happens is we get so wrapped up in our shortcomings and our failures and our doubts and our fears. We just get so paralyzed by them, don't we? It's just those fears, those things that just overwhelm us. But those are the moments that we are called to lean into God's grace. You know what God's grace is? I, I had a person come up to me after service last week. They said, and I think it was a great reminder, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. You know what it cost God? It cost him his son. It cost him his son. It cost Jesus. Right, so what is grace? It's costly. It, it costs everything. It costs God everything to be with you, to love you, to show that he is with us in the midst of trials. And so we know that even in the midst of difficult times where we look like a failure on the outside when things aren't coming together the way we thought they should, that God's grace is enough. That you, have, you are standing in the riches of God as a child of God. You're standing in it. Right? It's not like you've got to go out and figure it out and go do more Bible study. If you are a believer, if you believe in Jesus, it's the simple believing like we see with Abram, which would become Abraham. Before he was Abraham, he's standing there believing that God could do something. And so this is what's transformative for us, is knowing that it's God's grace, it's kindness towards us, that God loves us, even in the midst of our mess. And that's his grace that just kind of pulls us out of the mess, right? It's his grace that lifts us up. So again, it's not on my shoulders like that. Next is this. Know that it's going to happen God's way, not your way. Know that it's going to happen God's way, not your way. See, a lot of the confusion that we have in life, and a lot of the, the stressors and a lot of the things that, that, um, that really keep us up at night, is when things don't go our way, right? Like when things don't go our way, we are just so disappointed. We just kind of point the finger at God, like, God, what's going on up there? Do you know what's happening down here? Are you kind of keeping track of all this stuff, right? And so what happens is we just kind of miss out on what God's doing and what God's plan, which is better than our plan. You know, I... um, this past week, got to go with my family for a little bit. Um, and we were, the kids, they just want to go swimming at night. You know, so they're like, let's go swimming. They'll swim all day, all night, doesn't matter. And so they're like, okay, let's go. So we're like, okay, we go out there. And, um, and it's beautiful outside. And my wife looks up at the stars and she says, okay, there's like five stars up there because it's kind of cloudy still. Right? And, then, and then I look up and I was like, oh, there's like, there's like six, and seven, and eight, nine, ten. 
And so we're just kind of standing there looking at the stars, right? And, and we start to see more and more and more. And here's the thing. It, it's so much like our lives, right? Like for, for a lot of us, it's just fuzzy, right? A lot of the times what we do is we just look at our own plan. And, and here's what it, that, that looks like. It's just like here. I'm just looking down here. But what God does with Abraham, and what God does with us is he says, lift your head up, look up at the stars, look up and see that there's a lot more than what you're seeing right now. Because the God that placed those stars in the sky is able to place your life exactly the way it needs to be. And you might not know the whole route. You might not have all the plans in place. But here's the thing. If he's able to place them in the stars, then we'll start to see more stars. We'll start to see a little bit clearer. And the fog will start to dissipate a little bit more. And we'll start to see up there that there's more than what we saw the first time we looked up. Right? Because maybe it was five. Now it's 10. Now it's 15. But the longer we look up, the more we're going to start to see that God is there. And he's working in the midst of all of our difficulties. But again, if we keep our head down, we're not going to see it. God's lifting our head up. Look up so that we can know for certain, right? Timothy Keller says this, if we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives. See, I don't know everything God knows. I don't know. But what I do know is that he knows better than I do. And so in the midst of trials, trusting is key. And lastly, know that it's ultimately not on your shoulders. Right? This is the good news of the gospel. Like, to know that it's ultimately not on my shoulders, to know that God lifts the, the burden off of my shoulders. See, what is it that, that, that should calm our fears, our doubts? How, what should help us to know today that the promises of God are true? What should help us to know that, that ultimately it's not on my shoulders and that I can keep moving forward no matter what I'm facing right now? It's something better than what Abram had. It's something better. Because in Mark 15, here's what it says. It says, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. You know what's happening here? in the midst of all of our failures, of all of our transgressions, of all the things that we've done where we could not hold up our end of the bargain. God himself was being cut to pieces on the cross. On the cross. You want, you want to know what the cross is? It's God himself being cut off. Isaiah 53 talks about this. He's cut off from the land. Who is Jesus? He is God Incarnate, coming, sacrificing himself for his people. That's what's happening. God is giving himself for you and me. He's paying for our unfaithfulness. Jesus was torn to pieces as a dreadful darkness came over the land. And so what do we do when we face the fears and the doubts? Look upon Jesus. Look upon the cross. 
Look at the one who stepped in faith with, with difficulty being thrown at him, with ever, every horror being thrown at him, with everyone looking upon him as a failure, as the great failure. Jesus, why don't you get yourself off that cross? His believers were filled with doubt and they left him. They abandoned him. He was utterly alone. See, it was when Jesus stepped into the dreadful darkness for you and me that he paid that covenant he made with Abram. He paid it in full on the cross. And so when you believe, when I simply believe, it's because it was at great expense to God himself. And that's how we can be counted as righteous. Filled with doubts, filled with fears, filled with anxieties, but looking upon a faithful God who keeps his promise every time. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are faithful, that you are there, that you love us, and that you care deeply for us in the midst of our struggles and our pains and our doubts. Help us to see more clearly what you've done for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.